good morning, everyone. My name is Andrew, and I have the privilege of not only worshiping with you here today, but to bring you God's Word. And if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you this morning to open up with me to the book of James. Uh, we're continuing in a series that we've been going through throughout the summer entitled Living Faith, studying the book of James together. And today our scripture reading and passage comes from James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. And for those of you who are here worshiping in person, if I could kindly at this time ask you to please uh, stand for the reading of God's word as an act of reverence towards him. And I'll read this for us. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. This is the word of the Lord. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not, be, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is God's word for us today. Please be seated. Brothers and sisters, throughout church history, uh, theologians have often described the book of James that we've been going through as a mirror. In other words, because when we read James, that just like a mirror reflects and reveals to us any imperfections that you and I might have on our skin or on our faces, in the same way, what James does is he exposes the depths of our hearts and the depths of our souls like no other book in the New Testament does. Friends, James forces us to examine and confront what we see in ourselves. Friends, he forces us to examine our shortcomings, the areas of our lives in which God's grace still needs to deeply work and move in and transform. And brothers and sisters, if you've been with worshiping with us for the past few weeks as we've been going through James, you'll know that throughout the letter of James so far that James has given us several different benchmarks. He's given several different criteria for how you and I can look at ourselves, for how you and I can determine where we are in our walks with Christ as believers. Now, for example, James has shown us, if you want to know if your faith is real, if you consider yourself a believer here today, if you want to know if your faith is actually real, it's living and active, James says, just look at the work and the fruit that your life and your faith is producing. You know, last week, if you were with us, James showed us, if you want to get a spiritual diagnosis of your heart, well, then just look at, or more importantly, take a listen at the words that are flowing from your heart and out of your mouth. Now, brothers and sisters, what James does today in this passage, what he talks about is this area of wisdom. Now, brothers and sisters, for many of us, when you and I think of this concept of wisdom and whether, how to gauge whether or not someone has wisdom or if someone is a wise person, what do you and I first oftentimes think of? Well, oftentimes we'll think of that person's intelligence. You know, what did they get on their IQ score or what did they score on their SATs? Where did they go to school or what degrees do they have? But friends, if you notice in this passage, what James says in this passage is that the way that you can tell if someone is wise, whether they're living by wisdom or not, or whether they're living by foolishness, is not necessarily going to be through their GPA or their test scores or their knowledge or even how much theology they know. But friends, as James has said time and time again throughout this letter, the way that you can tell whether someone lives by wisdom or by foolishness is just by looking at their life, by examining the choices, the decisions, the words that they speak, how they live their lives. That's what James tells us in this passage. As he says in verse 13, he opens this passage by asking us, who is wise? Who is understanding amongst all of you? And James says, by his good conduct, literally by his beautiful life, let him show his work in the meekness of wisdom. And so brothers and sisters, 
really the, the main point, the main argument that James is giving us in this passage here today is this. That, friends, when it comes down to it, there are only two ways that you can live your life. You can either live your life by true wisdom or by false wisdom. You can either live your life by wisdom that comes from above or wisdom that comes, James says, from below. But his point here in this passage is that, friends, whether you realize it or not, all of us right now are living by either one of those wisdoms. We're either living from wisdom from above or we're living from wisdom from below. And friends, James says the way that you and I can tell which wisdom you and I are living by, which wisdom is the guiding principle in our lives, is by examining, as he said before, our conduct and our thinking and our lives. And so, brothers and sisters, the way that James fleshes all of this out for us this morning is by explaining to us three points about wisdom. So the three things that we'll look at in this passage is first, James will explain to us wisdom from below. What does it look like? What is its nature and character? Secondly, James will show us, in contrast, what the wisdom that God sends from above is like. And thirdly, James will explain to us where you and I can get wisdom, how we can gain wisdom in our lives. And so again, the three things that we'll look at in this passage this morning is first, wisdom from below, secondly, wisdom that comes from above, and lastly, where you and I can get and receive wisdom. And so let's begin with the first point, wisdom from below. Now friends, as we look at and just compare these two types of wisdom, earthly wisdom on the one hand, and spiritual, heavenly wisdom, what James does in this passage in these five verses is he neatly lays out and he contrasts three characteristics of each wisdom. First, James will describe to us the character of each wisdom. Then he explains to us their nature. And the third thing that he explains to us is the results that each type of wisdom produces in our lives. What's the fruit? What's the result of each wisdom? And so, friends, first, as we begin looking at wisdom from below, let's first consider its character. If you read verse 14 with me, James writes in verse 14, and he says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Now, friends, the first thing that James tells us here about false wisdom that, is that false wisdom is always characterized by self-centeredness. In other words, friends, false wisdom is the mindset, and it's the mentality and the belief that, friends, everything is about you. That everything in this world, everything in this universe people, things, even God himself, all of them exist to serve you, to serve your preferences, to serve your dreams, to serve your comfort. And any time that those, those things don't fulfill that, then false wisdom says you have the right and the entitlement to become bitter and to become jealous at other people or at God. And friends, if you just think about what James says here about the character of false wisdom, is this often not, not how you and I operate in our lives? Friends, when a friend of yours or a classmate, they get into a school that you really wanted to get into, but you didn't. Or maybe they land a job or get into a career that you really wanted for yourself, but you didn't get into. Maybe you find out that a friend or a coworker or someone else is just earning a lot more money or income than you. Or for those of you who are parents, you kind of compare and realize that maybe someone else's kids are a lot more smarter, they're a lot more gifted or successful than your kids. Friends, why instead of getting excited or being happy, or just celebrating all those good things in other people's lives, why is it oftentimes our very first instinct to just instinctively become bitter or jealous or even resentful within our hearts of the people around us? Well, friends, it's because, as James says at the end of the day, we're operating oftentimes by wisdom that comes from below. In other words, friends, in our minds, we may acknowledge that Christ, Christ's kingship, his lordship over all the universe in our minds, but as James says in verse 14, in our hearts, we boast, and we live falsely to that truth. In other words, we boast, and we elevate ourselves to the throne in the center of this universe, 
And we allow all this bitterness, all this jealousy, and all this selfish ambition to rule and reign in our hearts. And friends, that's what James says is characterized of false wisdom. That's a character of false wisdom. It's first of all characterized by a heart that is self-centered and self-centric. Now friends, James goes on in this passage in verse 15 to not only describe the character of false wisdom, but he describes to us also the nature of false wisdom in verse 15. If you read verse 15 again with me, James says this, This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Now, friends, what James does in verse 15 is he describes to you and me the nature of this false wisdom, this earthly wisdom, and by using three adjectives. And, friends, the way that he lists them is actually an order, ascending order of their negativity. In other words, he lists them from bad to worse. And first, what James says is that the nature of wisdom, false wisdom, is that it's earthly. Now, friends, all that means is that the only thing that false wisdom is concerned about is the here and now. In other words, false wisdom, it's unconcerned. It never considers or thinks about things that have eternal value or that have eternal significance. Now, brothers and sisters, let me just ask you a really pointed but simple question. When was the last time that you thought about eternity? Friends, in your life, when was the last time you just thought about what eternity was, what it is? When was the last time you thought about anything beyond your immediate circumstances right now, what's happening in your life right now, or what might be happening in the next few weeks or months? Friends, to put it more negatively or more strongly, friends, how often do you forget in your life? If you just think about everyday life or even this past week, how often do you forget that this life is not all that there is? That the Bible tells you and me that, friends, this life that we experience on earth is just a small fraction of the existence that you and I will experience throughout all of eternity. And friends, that the decisions, the choices, the life that you and I live on this earth, they will not only affect us in the here and now, or a couple of weeks from now, a couple of months, or a couple of years, but friends, the decisions and the choices that you make in everyday life, they're going to affect you for all of eternity. Friends, how often do you forget that as you live your life every day? And friends, what James says here is that the nature of false wisdom, wisdom that comes from below, it's rooted in this lie that this is all there is in life. And because of that, that you should just do everything that you can to live as comfortably or as autonomously as you want, because at the end of the day, this is all there is in life. And friends, that's what James says is the nature of false wisdom. First, it's earthly. Now, the second thing that James points out to us in verse 15 is that the nature of false wisdom is also unspiritual. Now, friends, all that means is that false wisdom is not only unconcerned with eternity or things that are eternal, but that false wisdom is also unconcerned with things that are spiritual. And brothers and sisters, again, how many of us here today, we can see glimpses of this in our own lives? Because brothers and sisters, how many of us, we are so attuned, aren't we? We're so attuned to things that are happening in our lives, what's going on in our lives. We're so attuned with things like how we're doing physically with our health, our weight, or our diets. We're so attuned to things how our lives are going financially, how our investments or how our crypto is doing, how the market's doing. And yet, friends, when it comes to things that are spiritual, the subtle and the small or perhaps big sins and idols in your life that are slowly, slowly pulling your heart away from God, when it comes to things like, friends, how distantly or maybe how closely you've been walking with Christ recently in your life, maybe for weeks or months, friends, when it comes to those things, how often are you and I unaware of what's going on within us spiritually in our lives? How often are you and I so oblivious or at best apathetic towards those things? 
Friends, false wisdom, James says, it's not only earthly, but it's unspiritual. It's unconcerned with spiritual things. Now, friends, thirdly, James says that false wisdom or wisdom from below, its nature is not only earthly, it's not only unspiritual, but it's demonic. And friends, all he means by that is that the source of false wisdom, this wisdom that comes from below, that it comes from demons. Now, friends, this is not the first time that James has mentioned demons in the letter of James. And friends, just as a very quick point here, a quick note on demons and spiritual warfare. Friends, a lot of times I think when you and I think of just demons or demonic activity, for those of us who have seen them, we think of scenes from movies like The Exorcist, or we think of scenes from movies like Paranormal Activity where people are just crawling backwards on their heads, or their heads are spinning around 360 degrees. But friends, although that may be an aspect of demonic activity and how demons work in the world and in our lives, what James is saying here is that, friends, most often the way that demons are going to work in your life, that they're going to wage war against you, it's not primarily going to be in the realm of the physical. In other words, it's not going to be primarily in the realm of the physical in terms of your body, but friends, it's going to be in the realm of the spiritual and how you and I think. Now, C.S. Lewis, in his famous book, The Screwtape Letters, for those of you who have never read it, he writes this book from the perspective of a demon, of this senior demon writing to his younger demon nephew named Wormwood. And what C.S. Lewis writes this when it comes to how demons war against God's people. And he says this, it's funny how mortals always picture us putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. Now, friends, what C.S. Lewis describes in the Screwtape Letters is, if you notice, it's exactly what James has just described in this passage when it comes to false wisdom. Because, friends, one of the primary ways that the enemy is going to work in our lives is not just by speaking lies into our minds, but, friends, it's by keeping things out keeping things that you and I desperately need our minds and hearts to be focused on, keeping those things out, keeping things like eternity, keeping things like spiritual realities outside the realms of our minds and our hearts. And friends, that's where James says this false wisdom or wisdom from below comes from. Its nature is demonic. Now, friends, really briefly, before we move on to our second point, the final thing that James points out here about the false wisdom is the result of false wisdom. In other words, what is... False wisdom, if you live by it, what does it produce in your life? Now, if you read verse 16 again with me, James writes this in verse 16. And he says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Now, friends, James says very simply at the end of this, this, this verse that when you and I operate and live by this wisdom that he's just described, this wisdom from below, that the only result in our lives is going to be disorder, fracturing in our relationships in the church. And friends, it's going to be rampant sin in our lives. And brothers and sisters, the truth is that some of us here today, you and I might be, as we reflect on our lives, you and I might be living by this type of false wisdom from below. And friends, if that's you here this morning, if your life, as you just think about it, it's characterized by self-centeredness, friends, if all that's ever on your mind and your heart, almost all the time throughout the day is just things of this earth, and you're never concerned with things that are spiritual or eternal. And friends, if sin is causing disorder and chaos in your life right now, then friends, James reminds you and I, there is another type of wisdom that is available to us. There's another way that we can live our lives that is available to us by his grace. And this brings us to our second point, wisdom from above. Now friends, James goes on this passage to describe in contrast what wisdom from above is like. And again, he does this by giving us three things. First, the character of wisdom from above, its nature, and the results that it produces in our lives. 
Now, friends, first, if you read verse 13 again with me, James describes the character of true wisdom or heavenly wisdom, and he says in verse 13, Who is wise and who is understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now, friends, the first thing that James points out to us in the, here in this passage is that true wisdom is always characterized by meekness. In other words, it's always characterized by humility. Now, friends, if you remember from our first point, if wisdom from below, if false wisdom is always characterized by this mindset that everything is about you and that it's about elevating yourself to the throne in the center of the universe, then, friends, true wisdom in contrast means putting yourself in your proper place in the universe. The Scottish theologian Sinclair Ferguson, in a sermon series on James, he once said this regarding wisdom and humility, and I quote, Wisdom is a reverence of God and his greatness and glory that makes me realize that I am small, that in the grand scheme of things, I have such a small place. And when I recognize that, then I look to God and look to others and become humble and teachable. Friends, true wisdom, according to James, it begins with humility, and it begins with the right perception of yourself in the grand scheme of things. Now, friends, just a couple of quick notes on humility. You know, brothers and sisters, a lot of times I think when you and I think of this concept of humility, or when I, you and I think of a humble person, I'm sure when I say that, think of a humble person. All of us can probably at least in our lives think of one person that you know that you consider to be a humble person. But friends, here's the thing. A lot of times when you and I think of someone who's humble or what humility looks like, a lot of times you and I think of a person who has you know, kind of low self-esteem. They're not really confident in themselves. They kind of just have this low view of themselves and how they are. Now, friends, someone who says things like, you know, I'm really not good at that, or this is so bad, I can't believe this is so terrible, I'm so bad at this, or I'm just okay, when in reality, they're amazing at whatever they're doing. Friends, that's actually not true humility according to the Bible. That's just being Asian. <laughs> or friends, in a lot of sense, in some ways, that's just being unable to take a compliment, unable to recognize value and worth when you see it in life, even if it's in yourself. Now friends, being humble according to the Bible in James it doesn't mean that you have to lower your self-perception of yourself. It doesn't mean that you have to downplay your abilities or your God-given talents, skills, ability, and worth. But friends, all it means is that at the end of the day, you know where you stand in the grand scheme of things. You know where you stand. In other words, friends, true humility, as Sinclair Ferguson just described, it's not putting yourself down. It's just putting yourself in your proper place. Putting yourself in your proper place below God and shoulder to shoulder alongside other image bearers of him. Friends, that's true humility, and that is the character of true wisdom. It's humble. Now, friends, secondly, what James does is he goes on in verse 17 to describe not only the character of true wisdom, or the character of heavenly wisdom, but he goes on to explain again the nature of true wisdom, the nature of heavenly wisdom. Now, if you read verse 17 again with me, in contrast to the wisdom that was from below, that's earthly and unspiritual and demonic, James says in verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Now, friends, what James does here is he explains to us the nature of true wisdom by giving us these eight adjectives. Now, especially for those of you who are kids listening here, I know you probably got scared when I said eight adjectives. And don't worry, we don't have time, unfortunately, to unpack all eight of these adjectives. But friends, what I want to do here is I actually want us to focus on the very first attribute that James lists here, that wisdom from above is pure. Because, friends, most commentators will note here that because James positions purity 
this adjective of purity at the front and center of his list, they say that purity is actually the preeminent attribute of wisdom. And friends, the seven attributes that James lists that follow, those are all just aspects or dimensions of what purity is. And so friends, the question for us all this morning is, what is purity? What does it mean to be pure in wisdom? Now friends, a lot of times in our culture, when you and I hear that word purity, oftentimes you and I will probably think of things like premarital chastity. But friends, what James means here when he uses this word purity and pure, what he's talking about is to be single-minded. To be single-minded. In other words, friends, it means that your mind and your heart and your devotion, they're all set on only one thing. They're undefiled, in other words. They're undefiled, they're unmixed with other things. Now, friends, in some ways, the best way to illustrate this would actually just to be think of a bottle of water. And friends, a lot of you probably know that there's almost nothing better on a really hot day, a super hot day, a sunny day when you've just played sports or you just worked out. There's almost no better feeling in this world than just cracking open a bottle of water and drinking water that's cold, refreshing, and pure. It tastes so good. But friends, many of us also know that one of the worst experiences that you can have with water is that when you open a water bottle, you drink it, and it has a bunch of backwash in it. It's one of the worst feelings in the world. You just ate some chips or some bread, and there's just a couple of those tiny little particles floating around in there, and you can see them floating around. And friends, what do they do? Those small couple of particles ruin everything. They ruin everything. Even though the water, the bottle is basically 99% filled with pure water, it's probably less than 1% particles or bread or crumbs. Friends, what those particles do is they make the water impure, and they make it that much less satisfying to drink. And friends, James is saying here is that the same is true when it comes to true wisdom. Friends, purity in wisdom, purity in a person who is truly wise, it does not mean that most of the time you live a life that is devoted to God and his kingdom. It doesn't mean that 99% of your life, areas of your life, that you devote those and surrender those to the lordship of Christ, but there's still that 1% in your life, that 1% area in your life where you just want to hold on for yourself. You want to live in your own sin or autonomy or rebellion against God. Friends, James says that true wisdom that comes from above, it's a comprehensive devotion. In other words, it's a single-minded and it's an undefiled purity. And from that purity, James says, flow all the other attributes that he lists here. Peace, gentleness, openness to reason, mercy, good fruits, impartiality, and sincerity. But friends, what James says, it, it all begins with purity. That is the nature of true wisdom. It's pure. Now, friends, the final thing that James shows us in this passage is the result or the product of true wisdom. What is true wisdom? What does it produce in the life of someone who's truly wise? Now, friends, if you remember earlier, we saw that False wisdom, what it results or what it produces in, is disorder in every vile practice. But if you read verse 18 again with me, James says in contrast, the result of true wisdom is this. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Friends, what exactly does that mean? Well, friends, James being a very good Jewish author and a very good Jewish writer, when he says this phrase, talks about this phrase, righteousness sown in peace, He's not so much just talking about peace as just a lack of conflict or a lack of difficulty or a lack of strife in your life. But friends, what James is talking about when he says righteousness sown in peace is this Jewish concept of shalom. Now friends, that includes peace, but friends, it's actually much more than that. Now Tim Keller in his book, Generous Justice, he describes shalom this way. And he says this, shalom means complete reconciliation. 
a state of the fullest flourishing in every dimension, physical, emotional, social, and spiritual, because all relationships are right, perfect, and filled with joy. Now, friends, just imagine for a moment if every relationship that you had in your life right now, every relationship you had was filled with this kind of shalom, your relationship with your parents, your relationship with your kids if you have kids, your relationship with your friends or people, maybe even this church. Imagine, friends, that all of them were right, that they were perfect, and they were all filled with joy, true joy. Friends, wouldn't you want that? And what James is saying here, brothers and sisters, is that the pathway to those types of relationships is going to be the wisdom that comes from above. The pathway to that type of shalom in your life is only going to come from the wisdom that God gives us from above. So, brothers and sisters, naturally the question is, how can you and I get that kind of wisdom in our lives? And this brings us to our last point. Where to get wisdom? You know, brothers and sisters, the reality is, for all of us here today, whether you're a Christian here or not, whether you consider yourself a Christian here or not, the reality is, is, friends, all of us are looking for wisdom in life, aren't we? We all want wisdom to get us by in life, to help us figure life out and just make our lives cohere and make sense. And friends, the truth also is all of us are looking for shalom in our lives, aren't we? We're all looking for this sense of peace, this sense of flourishing in our lives and all of our relationships. But friends, the problem for most of us is that oftentimes you and I look for wisdom anywhere and everywhere but from above. Friends, when difficulties or setbacks hit us in life, how often is it just your first instinct to try and just map out a solution to your problem or your situation on your own? or to just rely on yourself or rely on other people around you to figure out your problem or your situation. And friends, in comparison, how often is it your very first instinct to just turn to the Word of God for encouragement in a time of difficulty, or to look for wisdom or for truth? Friends, how often is it your, your natural and first instinct to just get on your knees when something happens and to simply ask, Lord, I need your help. Lord, I don't know what to do with this situation or this person or this difficulty in my life, and Lord, I just need wisdom. Friends, when you're making decisions in life, how natural and just hardwired it in your mind is it when you're making a decision to just think, will this make me happy, and will this be convenient, versus ever having a thought of, is this decision, is this thing that I'm going to do or say right now, will it please God, and is this something that he wants me to do or even consider? And brothers and sisters, if that's the case, and if that's you here this morning, then friends, the question again is, how can you and I find and apply and live by true wisdom in our lives? And friends, as we just consider these two types of wisdom that James has laid out for us in this passage again, friends, the first thing that James says that we need to do in order to gain wisdom, the very first thing that we need to do is to realize that more often than not, you and I live by false wisdom almost every day of our lives. Friends, James says we first need to own up and admit to the fact that most of the times our lives are characterized by the first list that James gave us rather than the second. Friends, if you think about your life and everything we've talked about up till now, can you admit this morning that, and even for myself I can admit, friends, that a lot of times my life is self-centered, as James says. Most of the time my life is very earthly, even though every Sunday at least I'm talking about eternal and spiritual things. Friends, I can admit that most of the time, the things I'm thinking about is not eternity, but just what's going to happen in everyday life, what's going to affect me a week or a month from now. Friends, how many of us can admit that 
a lot of times outside of church, our lives are very unspiritual. This may be, in fact, for some of you here this, this morning, the only time you think about spiritual things in your life. And throughout the rest of the week, everything gets thrown out the window. Friends, the very first thing that James need, wants us to do is to admit that, friends, before God, we don't live by true wisdom. We love and embrace false wisdom almost every day of our lives. And, friends, James says that we need to admit that before God, and we need to repent. But, friends, secondly, James also says that what we need to do is we also need to look and to realize that everything in that second list that he gave us of heavenly wisdom, wisdom that is meek and humble, wisdom that is pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, everything on that list, friends, is not meant or given in the Bible to describe you or me or our lives or how we live our lives. Friends, James gives us this list to be a picture, friends, of Jesus, who, as the Bible says, is wisdom incarnate, who came down to incarnate wisdom into our lives. As Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Because, brothers and sisters, as you just take a moment, if you still have your Bible, to scan through this passage again and think about this, the, these lists and these attributes of heavenly wisdom that James gives us, friends, you'll notice that throughout this entire passage, James has not only been describing to us what wisdom is, but if you look carefully, friends, has he not also been describing to us who wisdom is? In other words, friends, James has not only been describing to us the characteristics of wisdom as this, this abstract philosophical concept, but friends, James throughout this passage has been describing to us the character, the nature, and the results of wisdom as a person. And friends, that person is Jesus. Jesus, who in perfect humility and perfect meekness as the character of true wisdom, could have called upon legions and armies of angels to come down from heaven and assault and crush all the people who were spitting on him, mocking him upon the cross as he was dying. But friends, in his humility, he remained silent and humble, absorbing all the mockery and all the shame. Friends, Jesus, who throughout his life displayed the nature of true wisdom perfectly through his purity, through his single-minded devotion, not only in obedience to the Father, friends, but in his single-minded devotion, his unwavering commitment to you and me to be willing to go to a cross to die for our sins. And friends, Jesus, who the Bible calls the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Peace, whose life not only personified peace in our lives, but friends, whose death brought peace brought reconciliation between us and God. Friends, Jesus, who tells us that one day when he returns, he will bring full peace and bring full shalom to this dark and this dying world in our lives. Friends, where he will usher in the new heavens and the new earth, and he will reign not only as the Prince of Peace, but the King of Peace. And so, friends, again, as we come to a close here this morning, the question is, again, where does true wisdom come from? How can you and I get this and begin to live by this? Friends, James says that the only way that we can gain true wisdom in life is by daily walking with and knowing Christ, who is our wisdom. Friends, through listening to his voice in the midst of the myriad of voices that are speaking to us in our lives every day. Friends, by speaking with him and to him in prayer. And friends, by learning from his life and from the wisdom that he gives us in the community and fellowship of church and community. Brothers and sisters, at the end of the day, every other religion, every other philosophical system out there is going to teach you that if you want to become wise or successful as a person, if you want to gain wisdom in life, that you first need to attain 
intellectual enlightenment, that you need to attain moral ascendancy through all your religiosity. But friends, Christianity is the only religion out there that will tell you where God speaks no. God says, no, you don't need to work your way up. You don't need to climb your way up to attain my wisdom. Instead, I'm going to send my wisdom down to you. And brothers and sisters, when you receive the wisdom that God has sent you from above in Christ, then friends, you begin to put yourself in your proper place in life in the grand scheme of things. Friends, when you start to see how the King of Kings was willing to humble himself for you, you're able to put yourself in your proper place. Friends, your heart and your devotion, they become less backwashed, less distracted with earthly things, more focused single-mindedly upon his kingdom. And friends, your life and relationships will begin to experience a peace and a shalom that only the Prince of Peace can bring in your life. And so, brothers and sisters, I pray that wherever you may be in life right now, I know all of us are seeking and wanting wisdom for how to navigate life and figure things out. But, brothers and sisters, I pray that in the midst of all the areas, as Director Paul led us in worship this morning, all the areas where you and I can find and seek wisdom, brothers and sisters, that first and foremost, we would seek the wisdom that comes from above, that God has sent us in his son, Jesus Christ. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Please bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word today, Lord, which not only reminds us of the wisdom that is freely available to us in Christ, or the wisdom that you have sent down from above, but Lord, the word, your word, which also convicts us here this morning. Father, for as we reflect upon our lives today, Lord, many of us may confess, Lord, that so often our lives have been characterized by self-centeredness, bitter jealousy, selfish ambitions. Lord, others of us may realize that our lives have been so earthly, so unspiritual, Lord, recently. But Father, we thank you, Lord, that in your grace, Lord, you do not call us, Lord, to fix all our issues, Lord, or to attain wisdom on our own, but Lord, that, that in your grace and mercy, you have sent wisdom down from above, not only to show us wisdom, Lord, but to die for us and give us a new life in which, Lord, you will raise us in your wisdom and instruction. And so, Lord, we thank you again for this reminder through your word and for your grace. And we pray all this in Jesus' name.